This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. And produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 772 for release on Sunday, December 10th, 2023. On WaveScan today... Apex stations around the world. And we'll continue talking with Glenn Tapley and George Ross in Australia at the High Frequency Coordination Conference. Last week on WaveScan, we presented the story of experimental radio broadcasting on the part of Apex radio stations in the United States. This week, we continue the story of Apex radio broadcasting stations in other countries around the world. And also, we'll take a look at other later efforts to improve the technical quality of AM radio. Here's Ray Robinson in Los Angeles. Thanks, Jeff. The purpose of the experimental Apex broadcasts in the 1930s was to determine the effectiveness of transmissions on a very high frequency from a very high antenna, hence the name Apex. It was considered that these two factors combined, high frequency and high antenna, would reduce the effect of static caused by man-made electrical interference and by thunderstorms as compared to in the standard medium wave band. Even though the United States played the most prominent part in experimental broadcasting in the apex band, this experimental era actually began in Australia, not North America. Sometime during the year 1931, perhaps as early as May 1931, the AWA radio organisation installed a low-power transmitter in Sydney on a frequency somewhere in the 7-metre band in what is today VHF Band 1. The programming was a relay of the Sunday broadcast from their shortwave station VK2ME, located at Pennant Hills, an outer suburb of Sydney, New South Wales, though no specific call sign was allocated to this 7-metre transmitter. It had long been thought that these experimental AWA broadcasts in Australia on 7 metres were in the FM mode, but a closer investigation demonstrates that instead they were in the AM analogue mode, using a very high frequency equivalent to the American Apex transmissions. The original series of test broadcasts, using only the Pennant Hills callsign VK2ME, lasted possibly a couple of years, but because no commercially made receivers incorporating the Apex band were available, the tests were abandoned. However, five years later, when Apex broadcasting was catching on in the United States, AWA recommenced similar tests with an antenna located on top of a downtown department store and using a transmitter under its own licensed callsign VK2MA. Programming was again a relay from shortwave VK2ME and at times from medium wave stations in the Sydney area. 
The last broadcast from Apex VK2MA was on Monday morning, the 28th of August, 1939. This station was heard at times in the United States and QSL cards were issued. During 1932, when stations in the USA were just beginning to experiment with Apex transmissions, station listings of the era suggest that four other countries were engaged in experimental broadcasting on very high frequencies – Canada, England, Germany and Russia. The Canadian station was located at Bowmanville, Ontario, and used the call sign VE9GW. This station began life as a commercial facility, used for both radio broadcasting and communication purposes. When it was broadcasting radio programming, it relayed medium wave CKGW. VE9GW was subsequently taken over by the Canadian Radio Commission and redesignated with the call sign CRCX. Anyway, the high frequency registered for use by shortwave VE9GW was 24,380 kHz in the 12 meter band. In England, the Marconi shortwave transmitter G5SW, located at Chelmsford, about 30 miles northeast of London, was licensed for experimental broadcasts on a channel in the 11 meter band. In those days, it was not realised that the 11-metre band could be effective for international broadcasting during years with high sunspot counts, but rather it was considered to be useful for high-fidelity ground-wave broadcasting in the station's primary coverage area. Little is known about the results of these test broadcasts from station G5SW in England. Other stations that were listed as on the air during the year 1932 were located in Berlin, Germany and Moscow, Russia. The schedule for the German station was for a short period of time on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the 7-metre band and the Russian station in the even higher 5-metre band under the callsign RW61, which was simply listed as Broadcast. During the following year, 1933, two more stations came on the air in this high-fidelity mode in these high-frequency bands. Indonesia, as it is now known, was listed with station PK4PA, with experimental transmissions on 5 metres, and Italy was listed with station IAF, with experimental transmissions on 10 metres. The final batch of countries, five in total in which experimental transmissions were carried out in the very high-frequency bands, were located in South America, Europe and Asia, all listed in 1935. In South America, Argentina was listed with stations LQK and LQL at Monte Grande on 7 metres, and Chile with station CEC in the 13 metre band. In Europe, France was listed with station TYZ in the 8 metre band, and Madrid, Spain was listed with station EDS in the 13 metre band. In Asia, station HSJ in Bangkok, Thailand was shown as on the air in the 12 metre band. Interestingly, during the time when station VK2MA was on the air in Sydney, Australia, in the 7-metre band, a local radio monitor made the observation that no other stations anywhere in the world were on the air on these very high frequencies apart from Australia and the United States. (laughs) While it's true that low-power transmissions on these very high-frequency bands would not have propagated very far, the station listings during the 1930s show quite clearly that there were indeed numerous stations on the air in what was known in America as the Apex Band. Nevertheless, the Apex concept, using a high frequency transmitted through a high antenna, was abandoned when FM broadcasting took over in the early and then the later 1940s. 
Interestingly, FM stations these days also transmit at the high-frequency end of the shortwave bands, and one of the major parameters in measuring the effective coverage area for an FM station is by the height of the antenna system. Of course, that wasn't the end of the hunt for high-fidelity stereo broadcasting on AM. In 1956, LM Radio in Mozambique experimented with a series of stereo tests on shortwave. These were the first such tests in southern Africa, and probably the first on shortwave anywhere in the world. Two frequencies were used in the 60-meter band, one for the left channel and the other for the right. This meant that the audio was given twice as much bandwidth as would normally be the case, but a listener had to have two separate receivers to achieve the stereo effect. And since not many households had more than one radio in those days, when transistor radios were only just coming on the market, these tests were not pursued. And then, 20 years later, in 1977, another attempt was made at facilitating high-quality stereo transmissions on medium wave when the CQOM system was developed by Motorola. This is a system that allows both a conventional amplitude-modulated audio source and a stereo phase-modulated audio source to be multiplexed into the same signal without causing interference and maintaining full compatibility with mono receivers. In 1983, Sony brought out their SRF A100 AM stereo and FM stereo personal radio, as well as the SRF A1 AM stereo and FM stereo Walkman. But by that time, there were four different AM stereo systems competing with each other. Harris, Kahn Hazeltine, Magnavox and Motorola Sequom. And the lack of standardization is what deterred most radio manufacturers from implementing AM stereo. Even though the Canadian Federal Department of Communications mandated in 1988 that any station wishing to broadcast in AM stereo must do so using the Motorola CQOM system, the FCC in the United States refused to make a ruling, preferring instead to take a laissez-faire approach and let the market decide the winner. Although that approach really spelled the death of AM stereo, there are still about 45 AM broadcast band stations transmitting CQOM stereo signals in the USA and Canada today. There's also one station that uses the standard in Rome, Italy, Broadcast Italia, which since 2014 has been using a Motorola CQOM exciter with a Nortel transmitter on 1485 kHz. In the mid-1990s, DAB was developed as a new digital radio standard, but it wasn't compatible with existing analog AM radio, and therefore it required its own frequency range, which varied by country, but was typically around 175 to 240 MHz in VHF Band 3. Although the DAB standard has been improved technically since it was first launched, it's not been widely adopted, and a number of countries which did start using DAB have since turned it off, including Canada, Finland, Hong Kong, Portugal, Ireland, Hungary, Romania and Sweden. In North America in the late 1990s, a competing digital system was developed by Ibiquity, the proprietary HD radio system. This was selected by the FCC as the digital audio broadcasting method for the United States in 2002. It's an IBOC, or in-band on-channel system, which can be used in both the standard medium wave and FM bands, with stations able to transmit hybrid analog and digital signals on the same frequency. While HD radio has been widely adopted by FM stations in North America, on the AM band, there are now very few stations still using it due to problems with skywave propagation at night. 
Those AM stations that do still use it generally have to turn it off at dusk and back on at dawn. There are currently only two stations in the whole of the United States using digital-only HD on AM, WWFD in Frederick, Maryland, and WFAS in White Plains, New York. And then finally there came DRM, Digital Radio Mondiale. That was developed in the early 2000s. The very first DRM broadcast took place in June 2003. This system can be used on medium wave, short wave and FM frequencies and has been most successfully adopted in India, where availability on car radios is now standard. But globally, because of the lack of consumer radios that can receive DRM broadcasts, this system has still only been adopted by a handful of international broadcasters and on a part-time basis at that. There's no doubt that DRM is the superior system technically for digital radio, but with the growing popularity of podcasting and web streaming, it's now probably too late for any of the current competing systems for digital broadcast radio, DAB, HD or DRM, to establish themselves as a global standard. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. Next week, Ray will be taking a look at broadcasting in the Bermuda Triangle. I hope he doesn't disappear before then. In recent weeks, we've told you about the B-23 Season High Frequency Coordination Conference, or HFCC, which was hosted in early September by Reach Beyond Australia, formerly HCJB Australia, at the seaside resort of Surfer's Paradise on the Gold Coast of Australia, about an hour south of Brisbane in the state of Queensland. Before you get the wrong idea, I don't think any of the around 50 or so shortwave station representatives there went surfing, and I'm not sure that many even entered the water, because uh, the ocean during the first week of September, uh, it was just between winter and spring in Australia, and the water was not very warm. But the weather was very pleasant, and the area was full of tourists. The Gold Coast reminded me of a cross between Miami Beach and Orlando here in Florida, with lots of theme parks, water parks, and many other tourist attractions. There's enough to keep you busy there for weeks. Unfortunately, all of us had to work for a week, and we didn't have much time for sightseeing, except for a short aqueduct ride. That's an amphibious vehicle that can run on the road and in the water after the meeting ended to see SeaWorld, yachts, and houses of the rich and famous. In the center there, just above your heads, there's life jackets there, and at the back, underneath those seats, we've got kids' jackets. On our route, we have a flotation device. And at the back row there, just above your heads, we got two big bright orange light rings. Now, once again, folks, my name is Liam. Liam with an L. I'm Fijian born in Gold Coast, raised. And there's two things that I like about growing up here on the Gold Coast. Is on one side, you got the hinterland. So you got the waterfalls, the nature hikes, the camping, and glow worms. On the other side, you got the ocean. So you got your snorkeling, your swimming, your surfing, your scuba diving, and that's one place where I like to work on my tan. Now just coming along the Esplanade folks here, we got some beach markets every Friday, Saturday and Wednesday, 4pm to 9pm. So they're setting up now and it'll kick off in a couple of hours. On the other side we have Cabell Avenue, Cabell Moor, and the Paradise Centre. In there you got an array of restaurants and dining options. Just a reminder, it does get bumpy, so please remain seated to keep all your limbs inside ducky. Here we go, quack, quack. <laughs> and just like that, folks, we're a duck on the water.
and a good time was had by all on the aqueduct. Now, just before the HFCC conference, I was invited to the Australian Radio DX Club's annual general meeting in Brisbane. It was held at the home of John and Colleen Smith, where we were treated to a wonderful Australian barbecue. John Smith has a tremendous collection of shortwave receivers, which occupies one full room of their house. John gave us a tour of his radio room, together with Jeff Wright, an ARDXC member from Sydney. I used to make radios. When mm. I was an apprentice, I worked for this company, Allied Communications, oh, yeah. in, in Brisbane. Yeah. And uh, I used to fold up the metalwork. Yeah. I used to fold up the front panels. I used to silk screen the front panels, paint yeah. them. Build, we'd build the uh, circuit boards, put the whole radio together, and, and these were a, these these type of radios had a, a certain crystal. They had a little crystal, crystal oscillator, yeah. and you just solder them onto the board in yeah. the corresponding place, and you could have like twelve channels. And yeah. that radio down there, which is a Kremen, because Allied Communications bought the Kremen Radio Company out in Brisbane oh. a long time ago, back oh. in the eighties. And uh, that's a CSB 150, and they're uh, they're a hybrid, like a hybrid car, but yeah. they're a hybrid radio. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're a uh, yeah, they have yeah. valves on the PA, and uh, we made those. And so, John, are these all HF radios? All HF, yeah. Uh-huh. And and how many do you have? Do you know? <laughs> well, I've got more outside another cupboard, so I've got <laughs> I've got I've got more than a hundred, that's for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. I've got uh, well, I've got Kenwoods. ICOMs, mm. Yasus, they're all the, the sort of common ones. Mm-hmm. And they go right back to the early years, like this, this fella here. Uh-huh. Early Kenwood stuff. And uh, wow. and there's also Tentec. I've got Drakes. I've got the Drake R8, the, the R8A. I've got a few transceivers as well, the uh-huh. handsets. Uh-huh. Are you a ham operator? No. No. Okay. <laughs> i got no interest to talk to anyone on the ham radio. <laughs> you can receive on them. But I do yeah. like receiving. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And these little eighty stone receivers, they're, they're valve. This one, this is the, uh, the EC, uh, EC10. That's a Mark II. Mm-hmm. You can tell it apart from the earlier one because it's got a meter. And the earlier one doesn't have the meter. Hmm. And this one's, uh, it's all solid state and it actually takes batteries. You can put hmm. batteries in it. Now, do all of these radios work? Probably 90%. Wow. 90%. Pretty happy with that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some of the radios I actually bought knowing they didn't work because they're not complete. Uh-huh. Some might have had the uh, transformer, power supply, blow up. Uh-huh. And uh, like this one here, this fella here, it's, uh, it's a 10 tech. And it actually uh, works because I put an external power supply on it rather than the internal one, uh-huh. which doesn't work. So it brings it back to a new life. And... Can all of them, I mean, are they all connected to electricity? They're all, they're all, most of them have a built-in power supply. Ah. And uh, some of them have the, uh, the wall wart, you know, that mm-hmm. sticks on the wall. But, uh, and some of these are 12 volt out of a vehicle. Like there's a few vehicle radios here. Like these fellas, the CVs and, uh-huh. and I've got Pelstar here. Huh. I've got two Pelstar radios, the very latest one and, and uh, this fella here. Also have a, uh, this fella here, this radio is a, uh, one of the early lows. You know the low made in England? Uh-uh. Yeah, HF 150. That's a, that's a deceased estate. Uh-huh. So some of them, some of the people that have been in the club give me their old radio. So they sort of live on for another day, you know, mm-hmm. a, as, as a collection. And, wow. and um, 
Now, are these connected to antennas? The majority are connected to antennas, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And um, when you've got 100 radios, you need a lot of power. But <laughs> I run all the radios at the same time. <laughs> and, and what kind of antenna or antennas do you use? I've got a U antenna in the uh, backyard. Uh -huh. And uh, I've also got a long wire long, uh, beside oh. the fence. Okay. So I can, I've got a switch outside where I can swap them over to, mm -hmm. that comes into this room and I've got another cable that goes into my bedroom because I like to have a listen at night when I'm in bed. Wow. I have another HF receiver uh, on the bedside table. I think when you're a, a bit of a radio nut, you tend to uh, <laughs> listen all the time. <laughs> and is this a good uh, location for DXing um, or it, listening? It, it used to be <laughs> until everyone built it around, all around our estate and... Um, Unfortunately, there's lots of digital switching uh, power supplies and uh, mm. around the area that generate noise like everyone else in the, mm. who lives in an urban area cops all that and there's not much you can do about it. But mm. occasionally we go out for a de-expedition, we'll run out of beverage antenna 500 metre. Uh, mm. Halfway down to the Gold Coast we were, went to a, um, what used to be a cane farm mm. and then the uh, soil was too acidic or something and they couldn't plant cane on it anymore so they had an airstrip on there on, mm. at one stage which they don't use anymore and we, we were able to run a U antenna, mm. or, well sorry, a beverage antenna, 500 metres mm. and uh, we put these star pickets in the ground with bamboo bamboo on top because there's cattle on the area and, yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Mexico, unbelievable. Uh. I could not believe the amount of Mexicans we had. Wow. Hardly heard any Americans, but the Mexicans was was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was very good. But uh, we we've been all around the place, and a lot of these radios. When we would have a de expedition at Kingaroy, that was our main place we used to go to. We had a mm. member up there, had a big farm, mm -hmm. and uh, we used to run a couple of antennas, one towards America, North America, and one towards South America. And we'd have this. He, he used to have this big octagonal table in his shed. And each side had a radio on it. Uh -huh. And we had these splitters, or we had them there connected to every antenna we had. We had a U antenna, we had long you know, beverage antennas, mm. and you had a switch in front of you. So you could, when you're listening, your switch, you could flick to whatever area you wanted to listen to, and everyone else could. And now, were there a lot of um, uh, members of the club in Brisbane or Queensland? There are. Well, there used to be a lot of members in Australia, but as you know, the, the, it's one of those declining things. At the moment, I think uh, Australia-wide, I think we have about 110, is it, or 120? I thought it was more than that. Well, it could yeah. be more than that, yeah. Wouldn't be much more, maybe no. 150. No. It used to be oh. up to about 200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, oh, wow. but there's still an interest out there. People do. I was gonna, something I was going to ask when it was here in, in April, and I forgot. There are a few uh, low-powered um, shortwave stations in Australia now, right? Yeah. There's one actually over here on Russell Island, which I can just pick up on, not on skip. Uh -huh. I, I can't get him on skip, he's too close. Uh -huh. So I'm getting him on ground wave. Uh -huh. And that's on 5045. Uh -huh. I pick him up. And uh, there's a few others further south. Uh, uh -huh. I think there's a guy on 3218. And there's another fellow in North Queensland uh, on 5055, uh -huh. which is 4KZ. Yeah. He's, um, he's got a local medium wave station in, uh, mm. in North Queensland and he also runs uh, short wave. Mm. I think he's about a kilowatt. He's not very powerful. It's only for the locals up in the North Queensland I, area. I can pick him up 5055. Yeah. Uh -huh. I can't pick up the 5045. Oh, well. 
Jeff, your wife's from Fiji, right? Fiji, yeah. yeah we just came from Fiji. Oh, we were there it? for two nights. Yeah. And I was, um, I was listening there. I couldn't hear much on, on shortwave from you know where we were in the, yeah. in the hotel. I can hear Vanuatu yeah. on seventy two sixty. Yeah. Uh, I assume at nighttime there must be others that come in yeah. from there. Uh, but, I've, uh, I've picked up the states like Hawaii and that. Uh-huh. And me, actually, medium wave, but. Ah, um, okay. But I had a, a long wire. I was in a hotel and was high, and I had a long wire. Rang oh, out. that's nice. Yeah. 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 And I, I didn't hear much on AM either. No, there's only about two or three stations. There's only 558, which is the Fijian station, and there's mm. one more. There's only like two. Mm. They've gone almost uh, almost totally FM now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I heard a lot yeah. of FM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You used to be able to pick up Tonga on um, oh. 1017, I think it was. Again, oh. I've picked that up here, actually. Oh, well. Huh. Not in Brisbane, in Sydney, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. But there's another one down near Albury, too, 4835, uh, uh-huh. uh, shortwave. 4835? Yeah, he's a, he's a ham, which he's doing, he, he's, uh, again, he's only on low power, I think. Do you, do you pick up 4835 at all, or not? 40... 4835. 4835 I picked up, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, I had, when I was working, I've been retired a few years now, but when mm. I was working in the communications mm. out in the forest, we had a 30 metre tower with a, a big dipole antenna for HF because we used to mm. transmit HF around the, around the state for just two-way communications, not, yeah. not broadcasting or anything. Yeah. But when it wasn't being used, I could put my shortwave radio on. funny about that, When there was no one there, I'd put the shortwave radio on and mm. I do remember getting... Uh, uh, WRMI and uh, abs- in the 8 o'clock in the morning absolutely on 11 megs absolutely crystal clear wow come home and I wouldn't even hear it yeah uh-huh. because of the so much interference yeah, yeah. It's, oh yeah all these yeah. solid you get about S5 of noise and, oh, mm. TVs and stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah normally on the second Sunday of the month we have our Philippine DX report from Henry Umarhai. However, we had to record this program in advance uh, since uh, I had to go on the NASB annual meeting cruise to the Bahamas. We'll be telling you more about that. And Henry will be here next week with his Philippine DX report. And we end today's edition of WaveScan with I Am Australian, arranged by Jonathan Chi Hong Yang and performed by the West Coast Philharmonic Orchestra in Perth. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week, broadcasting in the Bermuda Triangle. If Ray doesn't get lost down there. And more from the HFCC B23 conference in Australia. WaveScan is heard on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, but not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave, 
in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to The Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 